This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I'm, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. I'm particularly delighted because later on in this episode, we are going to be talking with Charlotte Maxwell-Jones, who is the founder and director of Cobble Small Animal Rescue, and someone whose work uh, we have been anxiously and, and eagerly following for at least the last five months, ever since the the American withdrawal from Afghanistan, when Charlotte attempted unsuccessfully to evacuate herself with her staff, her Afghan her Afghani staff, and some nearly three hundred rescue cats and dogs, um, in an attempt to bring them to North America and and to better lives. Uh, that attempt was unsuccessful at the time, as so many of you will remember. And we were all unbelievably just devastated and and heartbroken at the time, especially because Charlotte was forced to release more than 150 dogs that had been in her care out into the airport. Uh, She was not allowed to take them back to her shelter facility. Uh, She's not sure why, and frankly, neither am I. Nor, obviously, was she allowed to leave the country with them. And so I I guess there was a feeling that it would be inhumane to just leave them stacked in crates, which, of course, it would have been at the airport. And so they were released onto the airport grounds. And and I remember and and it is I I guess I should spoiler alert, say, for those of you who, who have not yet heard the news, that this past week, Charlotte was finally, after five months of unbelievable effort, able to get 286 cats and dogs safely out of Afghanistan and to new lives in North America. And she's going to talk to us about that. And I'm also pleased, I guess, to be able to say that that of the 150 some odd dogs that she was forced to release into the airport, she was able ultimately, she and her staff, they they went back to the airport every single day after that and ultimately were able to 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 re- What's the word? To recapture, I guess, is is the best word. Um, all but between twenty and twenty five of them, and I, I'm actually going to keep this pretty short because Charlotte and I had that you know this part of the podcast that that is up top because Charlotte and I had a pretty long conversation, even longer than what was recorded. But the part that was recorded was itself pretty long, and and I kind of want to get right to that with one with a couple of of notes. Um, those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast know that I record in my closet. And that is because I, I mean, I literally am sitting in my closet right now recording this podcast. And that is because the acoustics in my very old house with its very high ceilings and hardwood floors are such that there's just this incredible echo effect anyplace else I try to record. And so that is the primary reason why I do this podcast audio only. And it's not, there's no video. You're not sitting here looking at my face right now, Uh, which is probably for the best if I'm being honest, because even if the acoustics in my house were more conducive to allowing me to record someplace, someplace where I would have a more visually pleasing background than the inside of my closet, you know, if I could be in my lovely living room recording there, um, I, I do kind of like the freedom of being able to sit here in the morning in my PJs, you know, with my zit cream all over my face and um, and 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 talk to you as, as a voice in the dark, as it were. Um, but I recorded my interview with Charlotte over Zoom as I record all of my interviews and and I was able to see her as I was speaking with her and I found myself, it was really the first time I found myself really sincerely regretful that this is an audio-only podcast and that we don't have visuals as well. Uh, 
because it was remarkable to to watch Charlotte's face as she talked and and she's a very attractive woman by the way uh, but but it's not that specifically that I'm referring to it, it, her face is very expressive and I I found myself more moved in listening to her than I have been in in listening to anybody for a long time and and not just because she has this incredible story to tell. I mean, just this movie-ready story, this one woman under the the most adverse of circumstances imaginable and what she suffered to what she was able to accomplish and what she suffered and went through in order to accomplish it is is something that that still staggers me and and as a writer it, it kills me that I cannot find words to express the the enormity of of what I feel when I think about it. But like all people who accomplish extraordinary things, Charlotte is obviously a very, very tough self-critic. And I, I know that she, the, the, the grief that she feels for the dogs that she ultimately was not able to re-rescue from, that, that she was forced to release in the airport is is very real. Uh, the grief is there, but but also the guilt. Uh, she she and she will say as much in the interview that that she feels that she failed. And you know, my my grandmother used to have a saying that you can't put your head on somebody else's shoulders. And by it was one of the the very wise. My grandmother's a very wise woman, and it was one of the bits of wisdom that that she gave me when I was very young that has remained with me all my life. And it's something I remind myself of on a near daily basis. And of course, the point of that expression is that it is impossible ultimately to make other people see things the way that you see them. And this, of course, is one of the great frustrations of the world, right? If only we could make other people, we could put our head on other people's shoulders and, and make them see the world as we see it. Um, but I I have rarely found myself wishing so intensely that I could make somebody else see something the way that I see it, as I found myself wishing as I was talking to Charlotte and and, and watching her extraordinary face, I I wished so intensely for a moment that she could see herself as I see her and as so many of us see her just just for a moment um because I while I I don't know that it would do anything to assuage her grief for animals who she loved and cared for and and brought back to health and to trust of humans and then ultimately lost I I know it would do nothing for her grief I think it would do something for her guilt uh, because the woman is a hero. She is a hero. It, it is a word that I don't use a lot and, and it is an accurate description. And, and I here I, so I'm, I'm getting choked up. This, this for me was a very emotional conversation. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm really just so, so thrilled that, that I was able to, to speak with Charlotte and, and to bring her, to you, at least in this form, for a little bit today. Um, I, I will say, by the way, that, that Charlotte, and I like this, I love this about her, actually. Charlotte is very plain spoken, and she does not suffer fools gladly. And she expresses her opinions exactly as she feels them, and good for her. Um, I will, I, I guess, consider this your forewarning that some of her language is a little salty, which does not bother me at all, but I know that it does bother some people. And so if you are a person who finds that very difficult to listen to, consider yourself forewarned and please do not, and this is an emphatic, do not uh, write me to complain to me about it later. And and it's not, it, it's, it's not so bad, but I, everyone has different thresholds for these things. So I'm just putting it out there. And this is also a quick reminder that while I have just asked you to not contact me about any objections, foolish objections you may have to any language that Charlotte uses, um, I do encourage you to contact me with any other questions or comments that you may have. And the best way of doing that is by heading over to my website, gwencooper.com. And there is a page on my website for my podcast where you can leave comments. I do respond to comments. There is also a contact form on my website. And you can use that to email me directly. 
And of course, if you like what we do here, do not forget to hit that subscribe button so that you are notified of new episodes as soon as they become available. And if you could leave a review or at least a star rating on whichever podcast platform you are listening to this on, I would be incredibly grateful to you. And with that, we are going to take a very short break of about 30 seconds or so. And when we come back, we will be speaking with Charlotte Maxwell-Jones. So sit back, get comfortable, and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Sticking around. Our guest today is an East Tennessee native who earned her PhD in classical art and archaeology from the University of Michigan in 2015. She has over 15 years of experience conducting field research in Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Central Asia, and has worked in Afghanistan since 2010, where she serves as the founder and director of Kabul Small Animal Rescue. In August of last year, she made international headlines during the American withdrawal from Afghanistan when she refused to leave without the rescue animals she was attempting to evacuate. And last week, after five months of Herculean effort, she pulled off what all of us had come to fear would be impossible when she finally succeeded in flying 286 cats and dogs to safety and new lives in North America. Today, she remains in Afghanistan and continues her work with Kabul Small Animal Rescue. I am both honored and humbled to be joined today by Kabul Small Animal Rescue founder and my own new personal hero, Charlotte Maxwell-Jones. Charlotte, welcome to this podcast that has been talking about you kind of obsessively, by the way, for the last five months. Wow, well, that's a little crazy. I didn't know that. It's not stalkers. <laughs> Um, we, we, we are kind of, of, of internet stalkers. It, it, it's really still just hard for me to, to, to get my, my head around the scope of what you have done, not just in the last few months, by the way, but over the course of the last 10 years. And so I, I, you know, I think, I guess the first question probably, and I've spoken with so many people who are so excited to, to get an opportunity to hear from you. And I think the first thing many of them would like to know, other than how they can donate to you, which I'm going to ask you to tell me in a second, is, is what you are, you remain in Afghanistan. Um, why are you still there? And, and do you have any plans in the new future, in the near future to return home? Um, I'm still here because uh, we're, we're still open. We, um, we got an OFAC license from the Department of Treasury in October of 2021. Um, when we realized that that we would need it legally to work here. And it's a one-year license. It's renewable. We will try to renew it. And um, we're here simply because the the need still exists. And um, there there isn't um there isn't somebody else to to fill this to fill this gap. So um a lot of our a lot of our experienced staff have left. They've evacuated. So we need to um we need to build capacity. We're going to bring in uh, foreign vets. We're going to bring in some uh, some foreign trained Afghan vets to do full training for all of our new veterinarians. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to spend some of the the money raised to improve our facilities, um, make them just easier to get around, improve plumbing, electricity. Um, we're going to work on getting some diagnostic equipment in here because that's been. Um, I mean, literally a killer for us because, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's a guessing game way too much of the time. Um, and if we're going to continue and I would like to do so, um, I want it to be I want it to be as high quality as possible. And I don't want to I don't want to uh, succumb to the idea that um, you have to stick with the standards that are out here simply because that's what out what's out here. So um, I'll stick around here to to help set that up. Um, we do have we do have other help doing that. So uh, one of our board members is Louise Hasty. She's the director of War Pause, which is active in Iraq. 
Um, and she also managed Nazat um, for a long time here. So she's one of the she's one of the few people in the world that that knows um, the resources that we're dealing with um, and the sort of the unexpected things that can come up and um, and knows how to help set up uh, better protocols, better systems, um, how to how to bypass some of the problems. Um, we're also working with Derek Stone, who's got enormous experience as um, as a dog handler. And one of the things that we've um, sort of fallen into in the past few months is we've started taking care of all of the the canines at um, at the airport surrounded by the Taliban, as well as the Ministry of the Interior facilities. And um, we're we're going to start working on um, taking care of the canines at other regional airports. Um, so we need we need somebody who actually knows how to deal with them. We're not going to be training them because that's not part of our license, but we are allowed to um, to to help them uh, have better lives. We're allowed to feed them, give them medical care, put heaters in their kennels, um, try and make the the life that they have to have more humane. Um, so we'll be we'll be working on that and. Um, as, uh, so just a couple of things. Involved, <laughs> you, you have a short yeah. to-do list is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's super short. It's super short. Super yeah. short. You'll be done like in a weekend or two. I, I'm just, and this is a question I want, I want to ask often. I want to reiterate this point uh, before I go on to my next one. For people who want to support and contribute to their, to your work, what is the best way for that? Somebody who has an extra $5 lying around and knows in their gut that there's no better way to spend it than to donate it to everything you're describing. How can they do so? Um, so we have a we have a number of ways uh, depending on where you're from. Um, everything is available on our Facebook site. Um, so if you're in the U.S., either PayPal or um, or GoFundMe works well. If you're in the U.K., then uh, we ask that you donate through our sister organization, Warpaws, um, because then you get this uh, thing called gift aid, which is uh, basically the 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 U.K. government adds on to um, to any charitable donation. So it actually makes quite a bit of difference. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, you, you talk about $5 and um, I think, uh, you know, many charities uh, scoff at this and um, and we really did seek large donors, right? Like we, we thought we needed them um, because the, the goals were just immense. And in the end, um, the, the entire flight, everything from the past um, five months has been funded uh, through small donations. And even the the larger organizations that did grant us money did so after um, after doing like fundraisers of their own that um, you know I think uh, averaged out to donations under sixty dollars. So it um, I think it ended up being empowering all around. Um, you know, it's a bit of a damn man thing, but um, like you know, it means that like if somebody says, "Oh well, I only have five dollars to give," well, that that it actually absolutely is, it, makes a difference, um, and it and it adds up. And it meant that when you know when this flight took off. Um, you know, I was like standing alone on the on the tarmac out there, and uh, but uh, that's and, the thing um, you were you were not standing, I, I, and that's really I, I think something. And and I know that when you are the person in, in the eye of the tornado, right? It's it's very hard to to realize this, but you absolutely were not standing there alone because so many of us were were you know I'm getting choked up as I'm saying it but it it really I think is is hard for a lot of my listeners to express it's certainly difficult for me to express and and I'm a writer I'm supposed to do this professionally how many of us were were with I mean we were watching to the extent that we could watch as it was being live streamed but our hearts and our souls and our hopes were with you I uh, you know, I, I I mean, this is going to sound like a crazy thing to say, but but my dad, who passed away a few years ago, who was a very committed animal rescuer and, and who taught me the value of of animal rescue. And since he passed, I don't think I've ever felt closer to him than I did back in August when we were striving so hard to raise money and and watching every second and checking our, our news feeds for updates every minute of every day that that was going on. Because I, I I felt him there with me in spirit, pulling for this to to happen, and and it really is hard, I think, to overstate how much it meant to so many of us this past week to actually finally get to see it come to fruition, and and now to know that our seemingly small donations really were the things that made the difference means a lot, I think, to, to many and of us. And it was, I mean, like my 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 heart is a big. Uh... Heaping pile of broken grapes right now as well. Um, I mean, it just, um, I, I never, uh, I'm not shy, but, um, but I do, I do like my privacy. Um, and, uh, I never, 
I never intended to be um, in the spotlight. Um, uh, and it's um, it's not so hard to think of some place you could have gone initially to get out of the spot further out of the spotlight. And, uh, I've been, and you've been there. And so I, I do also want to emphasize because I've been reading about you. I think I first read about you in The New York Times. It was years ago. Um, you have been there since 2010, and it was not originally Animal Rescue that brought you to Afghanistan. It was your work in anthropo- as an anthropologist. And yeah. so I, I guess going back to the beginning, um, the, the first question I would have is, why did you and what was it that, that made you decide to stay in Afghanistan and, and to work with rescue animals? Well, I, I came to Afghanistan to uh, to do my uh, dissertation research for my PhD, and um, and I fell in love with it. It was the it was the craziest place I'd ever been, and um, you know, so, I mean, some of the things that sometimes I curse now, but like you can't be passive. Um, if you're passive, it, you, you fail. Like every single thing you have to fight for. And at the time, that was a little bit more exciting than it is now, when like there's a whole lot of lives on the line. But um, it just uh, it was it was a thrilling place for me, and. Um, Clearly, you and like I, the challenge. <laughs> well, yeah, it was, it was a bit of the challenge, but it was just, um, it was, it was dynamic. It was, it was vibrant. Um, and now it's uh, dynamic in a slightly different way, I think. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I mean, so I, I did my PhD research here and then uh, I went back and I, I finished up uh, the writing, defended the PhD, um, uh, knew from like the last three years of, of grad school that I had no intention of going into academia, um, never want to teach again. Um, and, and I knew that I wanted to come back here. So I came back and was like, well, what can you do with a PhD? And as it turns out, nobody ever asks you what you got the PhD in. So um, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, I ended up doing a lot of statistics for my, for my dissertation and, you know, uh, reading a few different languages. So it, um, you know, the skills transfer. Um, but I ended up doing a lot of research and evaluation work with, uh, with the development and, um, you know, picking up a couple animals on the side. And I like, I mean, I get that from my parents as well. So my, my dad has uh, nine cats um, in Chicago. My mom has, um, I, I'm not sure she's never quite honest about it. There's always like her cats and then the ones that uh, used to be outside but are now inside. Um, and I'm not sure what, what that number the, the, is. The kind of floating number of, of cats. I actually <laughs> yeah, very dear friends in Tennessee who have a constantly floating number of cats. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like I, uh, I, I come by it honestly as well. There's, um, there's like, a, I don't know, it's that inborn thing of like, oh, what is it? Ah, it's tiny. It's furry. It needs help. Okay. Bring it home. Um, how do your parents uh, feel? No, uh, and, no. and I'm sorry. How do your parents feel about the fact that you are still, this, this is the Jewish daughter in me, by the way, like, how could you do this to your mother? But really, how do, how do your parents feel that, that about you remaining there? They, they must be terrified for you. Um, I, I, I know that they were at first, right? Um, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, I wasn't able to speak to them that much when I was at the airport. Um, the phone signals were terrible out there. Sure. Um, but they, uh, I'm sure, you know, at some point they knew that um, I was, I was walking out of the airport and it was, and it was held by the Taliban. And um, I, I, I don't know what they felt then. And um, they're gracious enough to not, to not put that on me. Um, sure. And um, uh, I've actually been, uh, been very surprised um, by how steady they are. Um, I think that, you know, I, I've, I've lived here long enough and, and uh, have been sort of independent on my own long enough that I think they trust me. Um, and I think that they, they believe in, in what I'm doing. Um, they believe in the effort. Um, they know it's not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not some like half-assed idea that, um, you know, that I'm, I'm being uh, flippant about. Um, and um, and I'm, and I try and be respectful of that as well, but, um, you know, I, they, they've never, they've never asked me to, to come back. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure how I, how I'd respond to that, but I, but I think we've got a, a sort of, um, a happy medium, a happy medium there. Um, I think my brother worries about me more, um, and occasionally gets a little pissed off at me. But um. <laughs> that, that's what that's the that's the job of of the sibling when, when the parents aren't. I mean, I have a, a sibling also, and that's definitely the dynamic. If if the parents are not complaining about it, then the often the sibling feels that they have to on the parents' behalf. You know, whichever sibling is not oh, yeah. the one worrying yeah, the parents at the moment. Mom's worried, and I was exactly. Like, worried? She's like, actually, no, I think we're doing great. I'm like, ha. 
You know, I'm 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 glad you brought up that day at the airport because I I did want to talk about that too. And and I know that the plan originally the plan originally was for 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 the entire organization or at least all the animals in your care and for you to evacuate and, that and day. Staff. And and the staff, and, the staff. Yeah. and and so the plan was for everyone to leave. And and we all heard the the horrible story about the the military forcing you to release the dogs into the airport. And that you ultimately ended up not getting onto the plane because you, you were holding this one, this puppy bee, um, who, who was at the time, I believe, had some some walking issues. She was partially paralyzed. And, and you know, and it's one of those things, because I remember thinking when it was happening that there that I would not I would never in a million years have had your courage, that I would have been that craven person. I, I would have said I did what I could and I would have gotten on the plane. But then I also tried to imagine myself holding a, a young Homer, um, my, my blind cat who I wrote a book about, you know, when he was only a few months old and was blind and trusted me. And, and would I holding him in my arms have been able to put him down in the middle of a scene like that and, and leave? And I don't think I could have. And, and I would just like you to, I guess, to speak a little bit in that split second in that moment when you made that decision, what, what that was like for you and what that felt like? Um, so there were, I mean, there were a few decisions over it. Um, I, I never intended to leave. So uh, they kept sending over these like big groups of like, you know, the big brawny like seal guys. And they're like, ma'am, do you know what's out there? I'm like, yeah, actually I do. I, I live out there. Um, and, um, and they kept trying to convince me to get on the plane. And uh, at one point a consular officer was sort of like shadowing me in this, silent obnoxious way um and i said like as you know as a u.s citizen are you are you legally allowed to put me on a plane and they said no ma'am we're not i was like ah all right <laughs> then we're fine um because once it once it became clear um basically on the late on the 29th that um that there wasn't going to be a plane then uh then it became like how, how to get out how do I, how do i get all of the animals back to the shelter um, and it wasn't till later the next day on the 30th that, um, that we realized the full magnitude of that, that we, we could not. So the, the split second was, um, uh, they, they gave me about two minutes to run around and I was, I was actually originally looking for a dog that, um, that it, I knew had kidney failure. Um, and I didn't know it at the time, but he'd already been taken out to this, uh, to this other part of the airfield and released. And, um, and so the, the, the second one was Bia and I'd put her on an IV that morning. Um, and, uh, they, you know, they, they had said, you know, you can't, you can't get any, any others out. You have to, you have to just take what you can carry. And, um, so, you know, I, I took her and, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't regret it, but, um, there is no, there's no way to, uh, to not feel guilty about every other one. Um, and there's, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up with any sort of um, framework of, of redemption. Uh, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in um, any sort of, the, you know, redeeming act. So that's, uh, that's, that's going to be with me because there are, there are all the others. Um, and I think that the real, the real moment um, was uh, initially they had said, oh, well, it's, it's, it's two in the morning. You have to leave right now. And it was like, did you like, you can't kick me out right now. Like it, it is actually two in the morning and um, I like, I'm not going to make it out there. Like, and I mean, one of the, <laughs> no, I was going to say, I mean, I was, you I must know, you must know though, that, that it, it really, that the calculation is, is not the lives you were unable through no fault of your own to save, but the miracle of the lives that would never have been saved. If not, I mean, that it was never on the cards for them to be saved. And then you showed up. And, and that, that, that is the story that there is no need for redemption, you, you know, that, that you even think well, of it I in mean, those that, terms might be, that might be how other people view it. But, um, I think the, uh, that sort of, um, that calculus of, of guilt that, um, you know, that however, however my heart does it, um, it's there and I don't, I don't expect it to go away. Um, I've been able to, I've been able to either deal with it or, I don't know, push it down and become completely psychotic um, in the last few months, a little better than I was at first um, when the, I think the grief just, um, uh, it, it, it was breaking. It just, just broke me um, for quite a long time. Um, and um, I mean, the, the, the moment was when like, you know, I, I got up to, 
to walk out of the airport and um and I I found some like slightly cleaner clothes. I'd found some like sweatpants and um and I had like a, a long sleeve shirt and a and a like a biker jacket on. And I and I couldn't find a headscarf. Like I'd use my headscarf to like clean up a dog at some point. And you know, they like they tried to find there was like some shit covered dress on the ground. I was like, I can't put that on my head. Like that's not <laughs> And so, um, you know, this, this soldier from the 82nd airborne, like walked me out and, um, gave me a cigarette and we I, like sat down for a minute beside the barbed wire. Cause there's like this little, uh, sort of no man's land. And, uh, he's like, you sure. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, it was sort of a pointless question because I had already asked out of sheer curiosity. I was like, could I get on the last plane? And they were like, no ma'am, CENTCOM has decided you cannot. And I'm like, awesome CENTCOM. I hope to meet you in an alley someday. <laughs> um, so it was that moment of like, you know, I'm, there's a between the the sort of a domestic terminal and um, an airport circle, which is the en- entrance to the city. It's about I don't know, maybe maybe almost a half kilometer. And um, uh, that 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 was a walk, right? Because like every every step is like closer to this city that um, that is that it, it was held by the Taliban. People were um, guys were running around um, like basically beating people with these like uh, sort of short rubber belt things. And it wasn't even clear why, like get in line, don't get in line, get in a crowd, don't get in a crowd. Um, and I mean, like I'm, I'm pretty fair skinned and fair haired. And I, you know, I wasn't wearing a headscarf and I had, uh, I had Bia tucked under my jacket as best as possible, but it's still pretty obvious that I was carrying a dog. And, um, and I'd called, um, uh, I'd called the son of a, um, of a fairly high-ranking Taliban uh, member that um, that I'd known through through my work uh, with the think tank, and um, and I'd asked to to please help, and so they they did come and get me, and they brought me like in a buy and a headscarf, and like shoved me in the back of a car, and um, um, but there was uh, you know there were I don't know maybe <laughs> probably as short as five or ten minutes when I was going from that circle to where I was meeting them um, at uh, this like wedding hall thing that was down the street. And, um, that there was, it, it was, it was a very naked feeling, right? Like there was, there's nothing that was, uh, that was gonna really do it. And, um, you know, sometimes you can walk around and feel empowered and feel like you can really beat your punching bag. But that was one of those days where it's like, you know, I could get the shit beaten out of me and get killed in the next like 30 seconds. And there'd be almost nothing I could do about it. Um, and so there was, you know, there, the, the moments leading up to like stepping out there, um, it was just, uh, it was a one foot in front of the other thing. And I'm not sure that, um, had I imagined it, um, to myself beforehand, I would have, I would have come up with that scenario. Um, it was, I'm not sure that, that I'd be able to imagine what I would do. I mean, half of, half of the days here anymore. Um, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, uh, <laughs> It's a learning experience, I guess. It um, it sounds like it. I you know I, I I know from some experience that that grief and guilt and certainly the combination of those two things is it's it just among the more crushing emotions. I mean, truly in the sense that they really do crush the life and the motivation out of you. Absolutely. And yeah, it's your lungs until nothing works. Yeah, and and yet and yet you did get up. I, I mean, I'm guessing the next day or, or the day after and begin making a plan to, to salvage as much as you could and, and to save as many more as you could and to get everybody out. And I, I mean, what was it, was it literally the next day? Was there some sort of a period of, of mourning or adjustment or, or just the inertia of, of trying to cope with all these enormous feelings you know, what, what was that like in the immediate aftermath when you were trying to formulate a new plan? Uh, the immediate aftermath was, um, I think getting on the phone with Louise and, um, I mean, I think I got, I got home sometime that afternoon. It was still light. Um, and, uh, um, we, we started talking about how to get back into the airport and, um, uh, Mayhew International was um, that you know they were they work for the city, so <clears throat> they had um, they I think they had agreed to come in and get the dogs on the on the flight line. Um, and um, and so we thought maybe you know maybe they they will find some of ours. Um, and uh, and I think by that point there'd been some. I think it was the 
this September 1st or 2nd, some of them, some of the journalists had gone in and like seen footage of it. And, and like, you know, those, those are our dogs. And then it became, I think from the, I think on the, on September 2nd was when we like, I'm like, I just got fed up at like, no, like we couldn't get any answers from anyone. So it was like, let's just go, let's just go to the airport um, and like try and talk our way in. Um, and it was, I mean, it was, it was almost comical because most of my staff speak Dari and this, these were like Kandahari uh, Taliban and they only spoke Pashto. And it's like, this is like, we, we couldn't communicate at all. It was absurd. Um, and uh, obviously like, you know, the, the staff were, were quite scared. I mean, it was, it was, it was intimidating at first, you know, they, um, uh, they, they sort of acted like a, a team that had just won something and um, they're a bit brazen. Um, but it, uh, we, we, we got in fairly, fairly quickly. And, um, I think part of how that worked was, was we were just honest. Um, we said like, you know, we're only here to pick up our dogs. And it was such a, I think it was such an unexpected reason. And they were so confused about why I was here. And they were like, you're American. I'm like, yes. And they're like, but you were a woman. Like, yeah, I know. And, um, it, and put anything over on you. you. Know, <laughs> I said, can't put anything over on you. (laughs) You know, I think the advantage of, of being a woman that is also foreign. So I don't have some of the, the rules just sort of don't apply, but I also, I'm, I'm very unintimidating. So I can get away with like, you know, uh, having completely insane requests. Um, like let me into the Canadian embassy. I must get the tortoise. Um, and they, uh, you know, it, I, I get I get listened to a bit more um, because because it is so odd. So in in some way, like you know, I've used that to an advantage. Um, uh, I mean, I think it's one of the few, so got to try it. But um, yeah, we uh, you know we didn't immediately start regrouping on on planes because like the the airport was was closed. Um, I think some I think some people started looking into uh, road routes. And that was pretty quickly shut down because it was super dangerous. Um, and I think at first, like there were some days when like we had heard reports about like the border guards, like, um, actually like, uh, breaking up crowds with grenades. And it was like, that's, uh, it's gotta be effective. Um, uh, was out at, at the, like the, um, Pakistani border. So I think that we didn't really start really regrouping on what flight options could be until, um, uh, probably uh, October, um, because we also by that time we figured out that um, like w- we didn't know how we started the question with a lawyer uh, on um, I think in early October because I was like how do we pay taxes because if we don't pay taxes we'll, our electricity will get shut off and but and you know paying taxes is to a government that is a terrorist so like are we allowed to do that and I, like one of the first lawyers we'd spoken to said yeah nah it's it's fine. And then, um, and then we spoke to one that actually deals with OFAC licenses, and she's like, "Oh yeah, you've been break- breaking the Patriot Act for a month." And I'm like, oh, "What? Like, I'm gonna go to jail for the rest of my life?" <laughs> um, you know, it's like every cigarette I ever bummed to a guard was like, you know, technically breaking the Patriot Act. And she's like, "Yeah, well, you know, those are, you know, it's it's considered like uh, basically one of the lesser uh, known hazards of smoking." <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um. And so we're like, oh my God, what do we, what do we need to do? And it's like, wow, well, you know, we're not humanitarian, so we need to get an OFAC license. How the fuck do we do this? Um, and luckily we, we hit upon, I mean, I think like the most amazing lawyer in the world and she got it like expedited and pushed through within a month. Um, and so then we actually could start like working with them on like the customs fees on like, you know, it's like every tiny little bit of like customs paper is like 200 apps, right. Which is like, I don't know, two and a half dollars now, now just $2. Um, and, uh, and electricity bills and like our payroll taxes. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, people, people talk about like some giant bribes. It's not, it's not giant bribes. It's like a $19 electricity bill. And trying to do that in such a way that it's not violating the Patriot Act. Um, so we, uh, you know, we, we, we slowly started making plans, but, but the whole time we're like, you know, trying to get more dogs. And it wasn't until, because um, it wasn't until really uh, November when, when we really sort of made a real bridge with, with the, with the Taliban leaders at the airport about the dogs and, um, and started being able to like work with them on trapping them. Um, so the Qatari security brought in, brought in traps 
And um, and by that time, we knew that they had taken the the Garda World uh, working dogs that we had, and those are mostly those are mostly still there. Um, and we're allowed to care for them and give them medical care, but we're uh, at this point not allowed to um, remove them from the country. Um, but it was uh, it was it was sort of slow until you know we like we basically reached a sort of critical mass and said like we're gonna try to get these ones out like we're not gonna stop right but we're gonna try and get out what we have um, and then what we had just ballooned <laughs> um, right because it was all of these all these refugees that were leaving um, found out about us and like can I bring you my can I bring you my babies I'm like oh my god. Like, so I know you um, had released but, all these dogs into the airport, but then your your coffers, as it were, were very quickly refilled, it, it seems. Yeah. And so of the of the 130 that were released at the airport, um, I mean, we we know that about we, we know that about 20 um, died um, and, you know, and uh, actually more like 25. Um, and, um, you know, we. We, we saw their bodies or we, or we saw photos of them or, um, you know, we, sure. Yeah. We, we knew about them. Um, we've probably at this point gotten over 90 of the original ones out of the airport. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I think between 80 and 90 out of the airport. And then there's, um, and then there's some of the Garda world dogs are, um, are still there, um, as, as working dogs, um, not all of them. We were able to bring uh, three of the retired ones out um, on this last flight, um, and then we um, we have uh, several others at our house after this insane smuggling attempt. I won't go into some other jerk, um, but uh, you know we we actually have gotten most of them. Um, but you know we still haven't. We don't have Thor the husky. We don't have Dusty who belonged to Jose. We don't we don't have Nemo. Um, we don't have Sweeta, and so. Um, Actually, one thing that our staff was working on earlier today before we got called to like three different emergencies at once <clears throat> was uh, making flyers. So we're going to go and make another 500 flyers, pass them around everywhere. Um, we're, uh, we're not giving up on them and we, we don't intend to. I mean, even um, even as, as I guess as recently as the I think the first week of January, we've we trapped dogs that we'd lost in August. Um, so like there, there is every reason to believe that they could be alive, um, and, and findable. I, you know, I, I, I know that, that you would not be you if you did not focus on the losses, but I would not, uh, be, be me or responsible <laughs> if I did not focus on, on some of your successes. And so I, I want to ask you at the moment, uh, this past week, when, when you were standing there watching this plane with 286, canine and feline souls aboard it take off it into the sky and 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 off to a new life in in loving homes in a new country and how did you feel in that moment as you were watching that happen um uh i think half broken and also half like we we moved a fucking mountain like spoonful at a time because you love these animals and of course it, it is bittersweet you are going to miss them of course yeah yeah but i mean it's uh you know there's that that old adage of if you love something let it go but i mean if you love something put it out of afghanistan yeah <laughs> fair, fair enough i'm i'm sure people plenty of people who care about you might say the same thing <laughs> And there was, you know, there was, there was great relief, but it was also, um, you know, it was one of the, that, that whole flight was one of those things where it, was, it couldn't be 99.9% um, on, on point, everything, every single thing had to work. Um, uh, and we had to have like, we had to backup plans for absolutely everything, including World War Three, by the way. Uh, yes, that's uh, the whole uh, Russia-Ukraine oh, yeah. kerfuffle that, that I have oh, yeah. to imagine yeah. must have thrown some kind of a monkey wrench. You had a Russian crew. Yeah. <laughs> We had a Russian registered <sighs> plane and a Russian crew. I'm Always like, something, not- right? It's, but but it wouldn't be a triumph if it was easy, right? <laughs> um, no, uh, although I think I could have like stood it if it were. It would mine a little, a little easy, little a little easier. Um, like, sure, nothing, no, no, no part of it was was easy. Um, it, it does like, not absolutely. seem like it. I mean, so, in, you know, in, in some ways, it is that uh, it was it it was it was watching like you know every um. 
every sort of uh, bit of misery and like self <laughs> like flagellation and sleep deprivation and um, every little bit of determination when um, when you think you just can't anymore um, that flew up in the air. It, it just, uh, you know, it, it must, I, I wonder if you even, uh, you know, again, as, as the, the idea of the person in, in the eye of the tornado and, and as the person coordinating all of these logistics and if you know, it, it's hard for me to even really grasp how incredible an accomplishment this was, I mean, pulling this off and I don't know, you know, listeners may not realize it wasn't even just a matter of getting animals onto a plane and, da, 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 and then they land in Canada. It was a multi-leg journey. It, it, it took place in, in four different countries. There were teams of, of vet techs and volunteers to, to meet the animals at, at every stop. Um, I mean, so th- this was a multi-part journey that you had different customs and, and international regulations. And I, I can't even begin... I mean, I used to to do nonprofit events and and just the paperwork for you know locally here in the United States would, would be out of control. So I can't even begin to fathom what you must have done. And and I wonder if there was ever a moment if it was standing there on the tarmac watching the plane leave, or maybe in the days that followed, where you just had this sense of like, holy crap, I just pulled this off. Um, I mean, if if you have that 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 sense of the enormity no, of what you've done. Landed in Vancouver. Not until it landed in Vancouver. Cause like I was also opening the news and I'm like, ah, more Russian troops by the border. And as it turns out, Canada has a very high Ukrainian population and they only need a pre- like a prime minister, like executive decree to bring on sanctions. I'm like, just please not yet. So, you know, we, we actually talked to a group of, um, of trade lawyers in Canada that, um, that were <laughs> at the ready to uh, apply for an import exemption for us if it became necessary. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't until they got off the plane um, that and like everyone was confirmed alive uh, and well, or, you know, we had a, a few cats and a few dogs had to go get, um, they were a little dehydrated. We had a couple cats that had dry eye, which can be quite dangerous because um, little ulcers. So they went to get treated immediately, but, um, but they, everyone, everyone ar- arrived um, well. And like there were even, there were tails wagging and, um, uh, the you know the the team in Canada was prepared with this um, this incredible shelter that they've built and uh, and I think you know they've they put up tons and tons of videos and, and photos online and like it's um, I think uh, one thing that's that's really uh, I don't know sort of uh, bolstered me is that um, almost all these animals are, they're they're well socialized they they're they're happy they love people they they went through like um, a horrendously traumatic journey and. Um, and you can see um, that that they've been loved and treated with with care and affection for months, and that and that's that's what we tried to build. We tried to build something that doesn't, you know, it's not just treating them medically, which you know we're only moderately able to do in this environment. But um, but you know, we we love them. Our, our our staff are kind to them, and it and it shows. Um, and um, and I think that was. Uh, that what that felt like a win, right? That that felt like you know we, we did something right. Um, so so now that 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 this now that this little little accomplishment is over and behind you, um, tell me what what your day to day looks like now. What a typical day at Cobble Small Animal Rescue looks like these days. Um, there's a lot of late nights right now because Vancouver is 12.5 hours behind us. Um, and there's still a lot of like sort of logistics to manage and like, which cat goes here, like can't reach the owner here. Okay. The owner's stuck. Like a lot of the owners are like still stuck in vetting processes. So, you know, working on fosters and, um, uh, so there's still quite a, quite a bit of logistics there. Um, and so I'm either usually up, up really late and then I nap randomly in the middle of the day when I just like, can't take it anymore. I pass out in the car. Um, but then we also we're, we get constant requests for um, you know there's an injured dog there's an orphan dog we I mean, we we took in thirteen today and I'm like really like can you guys and these were dogs try- that you've so I'm sorry so these are Afghani nationals Afghan nationals who are who are letting you know about these animals that need care. Uh, yeah, almost entirely. We got we got one call today from an international compound, um, but yeah, almost everything else is um, it's Afghans. And I've also seen on your, 
I've seen on some of your social media updates, and and this is something I I always find it important to emphasize. And and I one of my deeply held beliefs is that when you help animals, you also do help people. I think too many times there's this binary set up where where it's you're you're faced with this. People get mad at you for choosing one over the other, rather than seeing it as a continuum. But I do want to say that you also I, I know it's very cold there. It's it's winter also in Afghanistan. And that you have been, in addition to your work with animals, you've also been, if I'm correct, in, in seeing on social media, distributing some supplies and, and things like that to some of the people in your area as well. Well, this is, um, it's for our staff and their extended family. So we're, we're not a registered humanitarian organization. So I'm not even sure that we could legally, like, just sort of randomly go out and, and do that. Um, although, um, you know, we've, we've occasionally done, like, sort of um, organizational um, uh, gifts or donations to um, a couple orphanages, but um, but yeah, I mean, like it's uh, you know we, we've we've increased pay because the you know the the currency is is crashing. Um, we do food aid, wood blankets. Um, we pay for medical care for extended family. Some of our staff are poorer than others, um, so you know we, we get blankets and, and coats and hats and shoes and. Um, you know, initially we'd started like, you know, back when we were funded like entirely by my own salary, um, we were just getting like coats for the guys that were outside. Um, and now it's like, you know, if somebody has a kid and it's cold and you know, maybe they're like the child of like a second cousin's third cousin, like just get them a fucking coat. Um, I mean, like this is, I, like, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't really want to squibble about it, but, um, but at the same time, we're in a country of like 34 million people in need. So we can't we, we, we can't and we don't claim to um, to be able to make a big difference there. But but we do try to take care of our own there. Um, and um, and and it's hard. Like um, it I mean, there's tremendous I mean, poverty yeah, in, in, in Afghanistan right now. And, and I know that, and, and I think experienced rescuers certainly know that. Any place where where there's poverty is as poverty gets worse, so does treatment of animals or at least the neglect of animals. And and to a certain extent, that's understandable when when people can barely feed themselves. It, of course, becomes impossible to feed or, or care for a dog or a cat well, or so anybody we, else. We're, trying to, like, we're, we're giving so we haven't we're not charging. We're not charging Afghans um, for any anything right now. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, we are we're we're trying to to tell people like, if you need dog food, if you need cat food, if you need cat litter, like we'll, we'll get it. Like sometimes we don't have the best quality cause it's just local, but it's something. Um, so, um, you know, if it, we're, you know, we're, we've got, uh, we've just built, um, all these, uh, all these outdoor cat houses and it's like, you know, take them. Like if you need dog houses, cause a lot of people don't bring their dogs in, but they do love them. Um, like, you know, just let us help. So we're, we're trying. Um, and, um, and I think that the the compassion does spread. Um, at the end of the day, though, like we're an animal rescue. Um, I mean, this is a country with thousands and thousands of organizations geared towards humans, and it's a country full of um, actual humanitarians like that at their philosophical core um, do believe in uh, in the sort of primacy of of helping humans first. And um, I think at at the the core of my heart, um, I. Uh, I mean, for what I think souls are, I think ours are are, are worth the same. Um, and um, and I think that uh, it's right to help what's in need um, and what what's what you're allowed to do. So, like, you know, sometimes people are like, "Well, why don't you help orphans?" Well, like, as it turns out, it's illegal to pick up an orphan off the street, vaccinate it, put it in a crate, and fly it across the world. It's like, I'm not allowed to do that. It's called kidnapping. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit more red tape involved than people might realize. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, is it, is it becoming visible here that like, you know, the, the street kids don't, they don't have fat on their cheeks anymore. Like they're like, people are hungry. Um, like, but, but it's that, that it's too, it's too, um, it's too big. It's too systemic a problem that, um, (laughs) it's like caused by and can only be cured by, uh, you know, these massive governments coming together and doing something like, um, it's, so we, we try and, uh, you know, do a bit of an ink blot and just spread out from our staff, go to the neighborhoods, um, you know, where, where they are, what, what's in need. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's what we can do. It's what we can do. And it's what, um, it's what, uh, feels like, uh, uh, a whole good. Well, tell us again, for people who want to help you help others, uh, 
what, what, what can people do to help you? Um, on our Facebook page, we have, we have our fundraisers and, um, that would be, that would be the main way right now, but we're also, we're putting together a website and we're going to try and put together ways that, that people can help from far. Um, and, and there are ways, right? Like, um, you know, admin help, we need, um, we need translation help. We need a, I don't know, somebody to do an Excel sheet instead of me. Um, there's, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things that people can do. There's a lot of uh, networking and fundraising and like applying for things that, that we can ask um, people for. And so I'm hoping that in the next couple of weeks, we actually get that website put together. Um, and that's be actually being done by some of the supporters. Cause I'm about as tech savvy as a doorknob. Um, so um, <laughs> you, you do a you very know, good job. for. <laughs> oh yeah. I can like barely turn around like the live video. I'm like, where's the button? No, but you do. You do a good job of keeping everybody continually updated to the extent that it's it's possible and realistic for you to do so on what you're doing. So yeah, I, I somebody think it's remarkable. Like, you should do TikTok. I'm like, no, no, I shouldn't. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm like not. I'm not under like 15. I'm not going to do TikTok. Um, yeah. So um, I like right now. It's it's uh, a lot of it is monetary, but it's not. It's not even just that. Like a lot of the a lot of the donations were things that came from like, oh well, my neighbor told me about this. Right. So it's it's just sort of spreading the awareness that there is this um, there's this effort, and we will do um, we will do our very best with whatever we have. Um, and it's uh, it's so freeing now. Right. Like I mean, we used to like be thinking about like, can we buy food? Do we have to pay electricity? We can't use the generator. We're going to do surgery by cell phone. Like, right. And now like we, we actually have the funds to like, ha- to, to act the generosity of, um, of giving food when it's needed um, of, uh, of saying, yes, we, we can take in this litter of four and the other dog and the other six dogs. <laughs> um, you know, it, like, is it hard? Like, yes. And, um, and, you know, we, we also pay overtime um, because, you know, we uh, luckily we have mostly fairly young staff and they seem to not need as much sleep as um, well as I would like, but um, we, we, we have this luxury now of, of actually being able to, to help where, where we see it without um, having to, to second guess and like check the bank account 10 times before buying a bag of food. And that's, um, that's, uh, that's precious. Um, and so, yes, we, you know, we will always need money. That's, uh, that's the way of the world, but, um, but it, but we also need people's, um, we need people's energy. We need people's time. Um, we need people's creativity. Um, and we need people to continue to care and to continue to see through this, uh, this mud of, um, of misinformation and, um, I don't know, the media hype of, of everything that in some ways is, is so hyped up that it actually hides how awful it is. Um, and we just, we just need people to continue to care in whatever ways they do. You know, I, um, I, I was raised Jewish and, and, uh, among Jews, we, we have a saying, um, that, that to save a single life is to save the world entire. And I, I really hope that, that you never doubt how just you know what an extraordinary thing you you have accomplished and how each individual life that you have saved truly is its own miracle and and I know that I speak for everyone who's listening today when I say that and and I thank you I thank you for your your heart and your courage and for being so generous with your time uh with me today your time that I know is 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 has so many demands on it and is and is so precious and and um and and uh such a, a scarce resource at this point i i thank you for being so generous with it with no, me today we should uh, we should get together and talk about guilt and hearts again <laughs> I, I i'm i'm jewish you don't want to talk to me about guilt <laughs> i studied took second temple judaism in, in school i loved it. loved it um but but i i really i i yes it, it, again it it, it I, i'm sitting here crying to think of you crying for with with guilt after every really after everything that you have done and and the lives that you have saved and it is extraordinary and uh, and i see that you have been uh so someone is chiming in to agree with me it looks like uh, you've been joined by a cat 
like go find the girl kitties outside because he needs to be neutered. <laughs> Truly cats are the same everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, I think I'm, he's going to start shredding me. Um, <laughs> well, well, thank, well you thank you for, uh, for being yeah, here. Thank you for being here. And, um, uh, um, and I uh, look forward to hearing it. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. And I hope you'll come back to hear an all new episode next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me. And don't forget to hug your cat today.